On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. Well, this series, Mike, is a journey following the life of Jesus. We're now on a bit of a journey, we're on a walk. Um, in, in a place called the Arbel Pass, where are we? And, and again, why are we here? We're here because we've seen in a previous episode that when Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, rejected him, uh, he left them. Didn't really return, just returned once, and even then they didn't receive him. And he relocated to his base in Capernaum. And the Arbel Pass is actually the pass, the road that he would have walked down to move from Nazareth to Capernaum. And he would have gone up and down this road many, many times. This steep cut in the rocks leading from Nazareth and the Galilean foothills there right down to the Sea of Galilee. Let's just try and paint a picture. I mean, as we're looking into the pass itself, there's what I suppose you'd call a, a gorge. You know, steep rocks either side, gouged into the, the landscape, yeah? Absolutely. So we've got, as we look at it, we've got Mount Arbel to the south and Mount Nittai to the north. You can see, certainly Nittai is very, very steep. Arbel's a little bit more sort of gentling coming down, but two very, very deep clefts uh, in the rock that came about as a result of geological faults that produced the valleys that run around the Sea of Galilee and they're actually responsible for the, the winds that howl down. I mean we can hear the wind probably today and we can certainly feel it. They howl down these valleys and whip across the sea and cause those sort of storms that we read about uh, in the New Testament. So as we look off to our left then, sort of towards the sun as it's setting just now, this winding valley would have been essentially a route that Jesus would have taken. Yeah, absolutely. And still today, it's called actually the Jesus Trail. And many pilgrims choose to walk along it, right from Nazareth down to Capernaum. Uh, an opportunity, as with so many pilgrimage routes, to, to reflect on what Jesus did. So really, as you walk along these paths, as we're doing, we really are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, walking on the very paths that he himself would have walked. And this conversation, we've called it his lifestyle. What is it that you wanted to emphasize? I think even the very fact that we're walking, David, helps to pinpoint us on what we're thinking about. We've said previously, Jesus didn't come from uh, a rich family at all. And as such, he, always walked wherever he went you know he, he they didn't have ubers to call in those days except being donkeys rather than cars uh, jesus walked everywhere that was his lifestyle he didn't get a horse he didn't get a, a cart he walked everywhere and it reflects that the lifestyle that jesus adopted was a simple lifestyle it wasn't the sort of lifestyle of those who retreated like the Essene community down by the Dead Sea or even like his relative John the Baptist. But it was a very, very simple lifestyle. He walked everywhere. That's why he got tired. Remember, he was God's son, truly 
become a man. And, and so we read, for example, in John 4, in the story of him meeting the woman at the well, it says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And I mean, you know, it's late afternoon for us as we are walking along mm. this path now, but we're still feeling the heat and it's probably what still something like 25 degrees centigrade even as we're walking now yeah. and so he didn't you know he, he didn't opt out of those things in life he he got tired he got weary why because his whole life was spent walking around like this he wasn't a rich man and actually as we're doing that you know when you're at walking pace you notice things around you you notice plants, you notice the landscape, you notice creation. You do, and it's interesting, isn't it, that so many of Jesus' teachings came out of what you saw. I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds those. One's a particular quote from the Sermon on the Mount. But you can imagine Jesus doing that kind of teaching as he just walked along with his disciples, seeing perhaps a farmer sowing over here, seeing a bird flying in the, hair, the air. I was just watching over the past there. There was a bird hovering, just enjoying the wind, riding on it. A large bird, I think it was. It, it certainly was. I don't know exactly what it was. I couldn't see. But you can imagine Jesus looking at these surroundings and drawing stuff out as he did. And you know what? We rush around so much, don't we? in 21st century Western world. We jump in our cars, we dash to places, and we just don't get time to stop and see and appreciate. And clearly Jesus appreciated God's world and took the opportunity of that long walking that he did to take it as teaching points for his disciples. But he wasn't escaping the world. That's the point I think you're making. Yeah, absolutely. And there were some who did escape the world of course. Um, people like the Essenes I just referred to were a, a community who went to hide away in a stronghold in the desert. Why? So they, they didn't get infected by this nasty world. They saw themselves as the sons of light in a world that was full of the sons of darkness. And the only way they felt they could survive and be holy was, was to go and retreat, was to go and run away. And Jesus, of course, never did that. He, he's stuck here right in the world. He's walking these paths with people. He's knowing what it means to say to, for example, that teacher who came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. You know, and he turns around to him and says, foxes of holes and birds of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And it was true, he had nowhere to call home. He, he'd left his home in Nazareth. He, he had nowhere. To lay his head. I, I once read an article once that said, ah, but the thing is, what Jesus was meaning there was he just didn't have a place to stay that night. No, he had nowhere to lay his head, and unless people offered him hospitality and accommodation, he would have slept out in places like this, out in the fields. Was he taking advantage of people's hospitality? No, I don't think he was at all, because those who chose to open up their homes or provide him with meals did so with glad hearts because they'd recognised who he was and they wanted to align with his message. And there's never a hint of Jesus taking advantage of people. 
sadly that's not always the case sometimes with Christian ministries today is it we have to say and you know some people can pressurize and almost coerce people into giving or perhaps promise them great blessing if only you send a hundred pounds to me God will send a thousand pounds back to you and there's never a hint of Jesus ever doing anything like that so he appreciated people and he received whatever they gave whether it was little or much when you come to a place like this you know it seems pretty remote when I mean, just a car passed then there aren't many people about in fact I can't see anybody uh, for a long way away this part of Israel up in the north in the Galilee area you know does it for you seem a little bit more closer to how it must have been in the time of Jesus oh I, I love coming here Galilee is actually one of my favorite places I, I love being here rather than down in Jerusalem where sadly you know so much of the history has got layers of religious clutter over it but when I bring tours here to Israel one of the things that people say again and again about here is that it's the naturalness that helps them see wow this is what it must have been like when Jesus was here so here we are looking down this path we've stopped for a moment just to get a breath but we look down the pass between these two mountains and down onto the plain down there, the plain of Gennesaret, the plain of Galilee that, that was so fertile, still is today, but was in New Testament times, and out to the Sea of Galilee itself. And it's just such a beautiful area. It's, it's a secluded area. Actually, it was the seclusion that led, if we were just to walk on a little further, what we'll see uh, on the right-hand side on Mount Arbel is a whole number of cliff dwellings that people have both lived in over the years but also retreated to when they've been attacked whether it was by the Greeks in the second century BC or by the Romans and there's some incredible cliff dwellings there in including uh, a synagogue among them as well as one that we've just the ruins of which we've just passed and it was it was secluded in the sense of you could retreat from the world and sadly on all occasions they were defeated because soldiers were lowered down on ropes and burnt them out of the caves that they were in. As we just walk on I'm reminded of the maybe contrast between Jesus's lifestyle and the lifestyle of John the Baptist who, who, who he was related to. Yeah that's right he was wasn't he and the lifestyle that John followed and I think you know I think it's to do with the calling and the calling of God on our life is really important and it's important that we follow the calling that God's given us not try and imitate the calling that someone else has and John's call was to be a radical prophet who prepared the way for the coming of Messiah by calling people to radically repent I mean, some of those things that he says in, in Matthew's gospel at the beginning about, you know, if you've got two cloaks, give one of them away. If a soldier forces you to walk one mile, walk two with him and so on. Things, similar things to what Jesus himself will say. But John lived an incredibly radical lifestyle and his lifestyle was part of his message. It was about, this is urgent. And so the lifestyle that John chose in response to God's call was was one where, you know, he dressed very simply. Um, he ate locusts and wild honey. He lived off what was around him rather than living on fine foods. And Jesus refers to that at one point. He said, when he went out to see John, what did he go out to see? You know, 
you know, a fine reed blowing in the wind. No, you know, this was a very different sort of guy who lived a very different sort of life to Jesus. So it was a choice that John made of a radical lifestyle in order to bring across his radical message that we have to change, we have to live differently, we have to get ready. Messiah is on the doorstep. And Jesus and John the Baptist were of a similar age. They sort of grew up together. Yeah, there's only a few months between them because if you remember in a previous episode, we noted that it was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that Mary went to visit her. So there's just six months between them. So family, similar age, uh, and yet adopting very different lifestyles. One very ascetic, we might say, very simple, radically so. Jesus wasn't an ascetic. He, you know, he knew how to enjoy a good party, but he also knew how to not need a good party. He could live with either. So as they sort of grew up together and sort of went their separate ways, Jesus would have very much been following what was going on in John the Baptist's life. Yeah, absolutely. And when he hears that John's life is eventually taken from him by Herod, um, you know, it causes him great sadness indeed, as it would for someone who's not just a fellow minister in the gospel, but one of your own family. As we carry on walking, you reminded us that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, but didn't take advantage of people's hospitality, but in a sense was totally dependent on God for all things practical. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that was part of his calling. I want to go back to what I said a few minutes ago, that, you know, we need to live in response to God's call on our life. And Jesus was never presumptive, uh, but always grateful. And there were those many who just delighted to make their homes available, some of whom became, became great friends, like Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, whose home became a regular stopping off place for him. Can't help but think as well, David, as we're walking along here, how dusty these roads are. Yeah. And in days when you walked everywhere in simple sandals, it makes sense, doesn't it, of the need to have your feet washed when you arrive somewhere. We've just paused for a minute and sat down, partly because the heat is uh, such that, you know, you need to rest in this uh, part of the world. That's I know, it really sure. brings home to you, doesn't it? it? It was, you know, and then we read, oh, and Jesus went on to Capernaum. But you think, well, that was, you know, two or three hours walk and he's doing it in this heat. And it really does bring it home to you, doesn't it, when you do yeah. something like this. And from Galilee back up to... Nazareth, for example, it's uphill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, he's coming downhill down this pass, but imagine then going back up to it and cutting through the pass. You know, the, this pass is, is really steep. These um, hills here on either side of the pass, you know, they really are quite high. Mount Arbel here just in front of us, well, it measures 181 meters, 594 feet above sea level. But of course, the ground here is below sea level, so actually you've got a prominence of more like 380 metres or 1,250 feet above ground. So, you know, you're going to have to climb up to that level eventually to get to where you were going. So, it wouldn't have been easy. 
And clothes and footwear, nothing like they are today. <laughs> yeah, I imagine they got through a good few pairs of sandals over the years or needed them repairing. The famous reference you quoted when Jesus said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, he wasn't looking for sympathy, was he? No, not at all. He was, in context, he was challenging this teacher what the cost could be of following him. You know, this teacher had obviously been hearing the teaching of Jesus, liked it, responded to it. You know, very often, like, people respond quickly to the gospel today when it's really, oh, yeah, I'd like eternal life. Oh, yeah, I'd like Jesus to bless me and be with me all the time. Um, and so when he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go, it's like Jesus sees through him, <laughs> sees the shallowness of that. And it's at that point in that context that he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, do you realize there's a cost to following me? Now, for us today, that doesn't mean we have to go out and sell our home and wander the streets. But what it does underline is, Whoever we are, wherever we live, whatever we do in life, there is always a cost to following Jesus. The gospel is free, but it is not cheap. It was not cheap for Jesus. It cost him his life as he was crucified on the cross. And it is not cheap for us. It will cost us. There will be times when we have to make lifestyle choices. And the trouble is, so often... In the West, over these last few decades, the gospel has often become associated with come to Jesus and this is the mechanism for getting a blessed and wealthy life. I am hard-pressed to find anything to do with that. I hear this phrase, health, wealth and happiness. Yeah, and I don't know where it comes from, but it doesn't come from the Bible. In fact, if you read the gospels, you are far more likely to find come to Jesus and get trouble, persecution. Oh, and by the way, they might nail you to the cross. In fact, when Jesus told Peter and the disciples after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi, saying, you are indeed the Messiah, he began to teach them about what was going to lie ahead, that he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be crucified. And when they say, no, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you, not only does he say, get behind me, Satan, he goes on to say, actually, <laughs> this is not just what lies ahead for me, but what you need to be ready to face up to could lie ahead for you as well. So there is far more in the gospel about challenge and cost than there is about promise of blessing, of health and wealth. Don't some of the disciples, or at least one of them, probably Peter, retort with a sort of, but we've given up everything for you? Lord. Yes. <laughs> and he goes on to say something wonderful. It's like, I imagine Jesus almost laughing at that point and say, yeah, I know you have, Peter. And listen, don't worry, because there's no one who's given up mothers or fathers or brothers or sisters or homes or anything else for me in this life. Won't gain far more, but where? In the kingdom to come. It's not a promise that if you give up something here in this life, it will automatically be given back to you and multiplied. Do you know what? Sometimes it is in the kindness and grace of God, but it might not be. So if we give, we give because God has stirred our heart to bless that thing or that person that we are giving to, not because we hope to get back once we've given. I found in my experience often when you give, 
you do get back. Although sometimes it's not in the same form. You know, you end up giving money to some appeal or other. And then you find God blesses you, not by giving you twice as much back or ten times as much back, but by being invited out to someone's home three times for meals that week and you've saved your money that way. You know, God's well able to take care of us. But the gospel is not about health and wealth. The gospel is about lining ourselves up with Jesus. In fact, you know, when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, actually the Greek there really means line up behind me. Get your life in line with me, Peter. Now that's the gospel. It's about lining up with Jesus his beliefs, and his lifestyle. And an important part of that is the simplicity of that lifestyle. And I'm wondering what it is that we can learn about simplicity. I think that's a great word that you've chosen there, David, because I think that's exactly what Jesus went for. A simple lifestyle. It wasn't ascetic. He wasn't frightened of saying yes to a party or going to a wedding. So he wasn't ascetic, but he did live simply gratefully receiving what God gave to him. And the problem is for us in the West today, the whole atmosphere around us, you know, as surely as fish swim in water, we swim in an atmosphere of life. And the atmosphere is always that you need more, you want more. I mean, look at adverts on TV or on your social media. They're always telling you how your life will be better if only you have this perfume or you drive that car, or you eat this food. And there's something constantly chipping away at us in life, saying, you need more, you need better, you need more, you need better. And I think, you know, Jesus then and now, what would Jesus say to us now? I think very often he'd say to us, guys, your lifestyle needs to be an awful lot simpler, an awful lot less cluttered, an awful lot less focused on stuff and getting stuff and having stuff and a lot more focused on me and on my kingdom. One of my favorite Bible verses, it was actually, I think, the first Bible verse I ever learned when I became a Christian, Matthew 6, 33. In the context of Jesus teaching people about not needing to worry about food and clothing and saying, your heavenly father knows you need all that, don't worry. And he ends up by saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be yours as well what things the things he's talked about food clothing life put god first seek his kingdom first and everything else will have a way of falling into place sadly a lot of western christianity has become about seek jesus to end up living an ever better lifestyle is that because there's a sense of security in stuff and things. I'm thinking some people are probably somewhat afraid of the idea of a monastic way of life. Yes, and you know what? I don't think Jesus calls us to a monastic way of life at all. But I think he does call us to a simpler way of life. And there is nothing like things happening to your stuff to test how important your stuff is. So when the COVID crisis and the pandemic hit the world and everything got hit, everything shut down. And one of the things that got hit was obviously business, the stock market. And I remember, I have to confess, looking at my pension pot and my investment and suddenly seeing the money that I had invested in my pension suddenly being drastically cut back. 
And if I'm really honest, a, a sense of panic in me, and think, oh my goodness, what is this about? And there is nothing like your stuff being touched. As I was touched at that moment to think, well, who is your confidence in, Mike? You've done the best you can. You've saved where you can. You've tried to make provision. You're going to have to trust God now. And when our stuff is touched, and maybe even some listeners today have had stuff touched. And you know what? Sometimes that's painful. I'm not saying that glibly. Sometimes it might be our car breaks down and we can't replace it. It might be we can't keep up with the mortgage on our home. So I realize this can be painful. But these are opportunities to see what is it that is most important to you in life. And will you invite Jesus in, not just to be the Jesus of then, but the Jesus of now, and say, Lord, I don't know how we're going to meet these needs, and I don't know how we're going to manage, but I do know you're with me. And I do know that you always provided for your followers, and you're going to do it for me as long as I keep seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. Well, in this slightly remote and slightly breezy place, the Arbil Pass, on the way down into Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, um, just pray for us, if you would, on that topic. Lord Jesus, sitting here, looking through that pass, out onto the plain and the sea, we think this is where you might have sat. As you walked your weary journeys and we remember today that your heart was not to pursue a wonderfully comfortable lifestyle but simply to follow your father and do whatever he told you lord we pray for one another today that that would be our heart to do only what the father shows us and what the father tells us to resist the pressure of the society and culture in which we live, to pursue ever more, ever better, ever bigger, and to learn how to be content like Jesus was content. Because when we look at him, we see a man utterly at peace with himself and with you. Teach us such dependence, and contentment, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references, and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs or Bible surprises. Bible surprises.